let's welcome once again Terry Virgo. Thank you so much. I do love uh, Toppy and all that uh, makes him tick. Uh, we're going to be turning to Acts chapter 1. We speak of the spirit-filled church that needs spirit-filled people. And uh, we need to be very clear about what we mean by being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, how we enjoy that wonderful encounter with God, and how also as leaders we can uh, anticipate, expect, encourage people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that uh, that doctrine is sometimes clouded with confusion, and uh, we sometimes hope people will kind of catch it. Uh, I think if we can expound it clearly and set forth principles, people will understand and come in with understanding. In fact, if people say to me, would you pray for me to be baptized with the Spirit? I would tend to say, how long have you got? Because I want to open up some scriptures first. Uh, I, I would very rarely, if ever, simply say, yeah, okay, I'll pray for you. Because I know people are in all kinds of confusion, not quite sure what that really means. And I think it just helps so much to have a clear comprehension of that. So I'm just going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 1, then we'll pray, then we'll get into it. Okay, so uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your presence here. Thank you, Father, for your grace. And Lord, we, we just look to you. We lean heavily on your grace, on your kindness, your tender mercies, your love for your church, your desire to feed your flock. We pray, Father, that you will feed us with truth. We pray for a spirit, Father, of revelation in the knowledge of your word. We pray, open the eyes of our heart. Help us to see, to, to see keys. Help us, Lord, to feel equipped to maybe with more confidence present uh, the coming of the spirit upon our people, upon individuals and churches. Father, we thank you so much that the Lord Jesus ascended on high and poured out his spirit and father we we pray please let your spirit be poured out on us lord even as we hear the word even as we are opening the scriptures come holy spirit come on us i pray in jesus name amen well the last verse i read to you verse 8 has been called by many the key uh, to the understanding of the book of acts that uh, a group of guys who hitherto have been seen as falling short, really, of comprehending what Jesus was trying to do, uh, falling short in terms of loyalty uh, in Gethsemane and uh, at the arrest time, uh, bewildered, uh, ashamed, uh, fearful, uh, like Simon Peter, for instance, saying, I don't know him, I'm not with him. 
Uh, how was it that this group turned the world upside down? How was it that uh, such a, a group of uh, untrained, untaught fishermen from Galilee, uh, how come? Uh, how come the church uh, made that kind of progress? Well, many would say, well, here's the key. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the key to understanding how they were transformed, how the church uh, erupted onto uh, the world. And uh, I believe that as Jesus said that to these Jewish or former Jewish guys, um, they would have understood it wasn't a new concept to them. They wouldn't think, what do you mean, Spirit come upon? Uh, they knew their scriptures. They knew about Gideon, who was uh, scared, hiding in a cave, uh, threshing the wheat where there was no wind, just a waste of time, really, and uh, uh, just a scared guy. And the Lord coming to him, commissioning him, and then it says clothing him with power so that he uh, took an army, it's just ridiculous, 300 men, and uh, against tens of thousands. I mean, amazing transformation. They knew about the Spirit coming upon David. Samuel went to David. He chose this boy, and uh, uh, God chose him. Then he poured uh, oil upon him. The Holy Spirit came upon him, it says. And David became empowered by the Spirit. We know how the Spirit came upon the judges, on, on Samson. And we must understand, Samson was uh, an ordinary guy. You know, sometimes uh, I've seen movies. I remember I went, went to the National Gallery, and they uh, were showing two uh, paintings of Samson. Uh, one was by Rubens. I can't remember what the other one was by. And it was there for you to compare these various uh, the skills of the artists. And uh, uh, the same uh, picture in terms of p uh, depicting the same event, namely his hair being cut off by Delilah. And so you see him there with Delilah, and you see the scissors, and you see the hair falling off. And what do you see about Samson? Well, this is what you see about Samson. He's so muscular, it's scary. And uh, you know Rubens, he just loves muscles, and it's just kind of, it's mwah. And uh, you know, that's Samson, obviously that's Samson. And uh, when Hollywood tries to depict Samson, I remember a movie many years ago, a guy called Victor Mature played Samson because he's about the biggest actor they could find. And, you know, his, he has difficulty walking because of his muscles. And, uh, you know, Samson, obviously. But that is missing the point, isn't it? I mean, here's the question. Where do you get your power? Well, you don't ask Arnold Schwarzenegger, where do you get your power? Because, you know, you just pump those irons, pump those irons. It's obvious where you, no, no, these paintings, and that's how people think of Samson. But the Bible says, how, how do you do that? How do you tear up gates? How do you, well, where do you get that strength? The Spirit came upon him. It's other than him. It's, it's not, well, he was muscular anyway. It's a mystery. How, how do you do it? It's the Spirit. And so, I mean, the Bible's full of it. Elijah is going to be taken away. Elisha says, if I'm going to replace you, if I'm going to continue what you started, I must have the same spirit that you have. I've got to have it. We find Moses says to, uh, or he's told by God, lay hands on Joshua. And the spirit that was on Moses comes on Joshua. And so the, the concept of, for these Jewish people, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Well, it's not like it's a new idea. It's been happening through their history. They know what it means. And they experience the sort of thing they experienced. Jesus began his ministry. We know for 30 years he was innocent, pure, magnificent, but he was clothed with power 
at age 30 when he was baptized in the water, and the Spirit came upon him. And they said, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He became the Lord's anointed. He moved with the power of the Spirit. And these guys knew, if we've got to carry on, like Elisha knew, if I'm going to do what you did, I need what you had. And so the concept of power coming upon is very uh, biblical one, not like it's a mystery to them. They know what happened in the past when it happened. This is what's going to happen again. So you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. But for many uh, modern-day Christians, they're not quite sure, where, where do I fit with that then? Is that something I can anticipate? And I remember for myself, uh, back in my 20s, when I was thinking, Lord, I feel so inadequate. I do feel powerless. And I could so identify with Simon Peter, who, who said, effectively, I'm not with him. And I knew the many times when I personally felt, I'm not with him. I knew I was with him, but I couldn't own up to him. Now, some of my people at work knew I was a churchgoer, but that doesn't mean anything. I couldn't witness. I couldn't say, I want you to know, I believe all my sins are forgiven. I believe Jesus is alive. I believe, I I, I couldn't tell the gospel. I couldn't witness to Jesus. And often I missed out. Often I I couldn't handle it. And I thought, God, is there more for me? And uh, I remember when I was beginning to get thirsty, I was inquiring. And so, you know, you start reading all sorts of books and uh, people one respected and honored. And and so I'd read, uh, for instance, John Stott would say, no, no, when you're converted, that's it, really. You receive the Spirit. That's part of the conversion. Uh, and, And many would teach that. Many evangelicals today would teach, that's it. You've been baptized in the Spirit. It's happened. It's finished. Others would say, no, 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 that's another experience. And when I was looking, there was a Keswick teaching was quite popular, which you don't hear quite so often these days, but it was almost like a second blessing, as some people call it. It was like you, you get converted, and then later, and you'd hear this illustration often, you have to empty out the glass, and then God will fill you. It was like a, it's like a surrendering. And uh, you would have people who teach about surrender, absolute surrender. Surrender is a popular word. And uh, you, you give yourself. And then when you surrender, God fills you. He can't fill you if you're not empty. And so a lot of teaching about just yielding yourself then. So it's a later thing. You get saved, and then maybe years later, you have a, a second experience of making him your Lord, handing everything over, a new act of sanctification. It's separate. That's how it would be taught. And then I, as I looked at those people, Pentecostals, I'm looking, I'm searching, and what do they seem to be? They seem to be saying, well, it says they tarried, and then the Spirit came on them, they spoke in tongues. So you tarry, and you speak in tongues, then you know you got it. And so you think, well, which, which, which one's right? I don't know which is right. And, uh, and I, after a while, I got just baffled, and I thought, oh, who can sort this out? And uh, for me, you know, John Stott, one of my great heroes, and Dr. Lloyd-Jones, one of my great heroes, and they completely disagreed with one another. And I thought, if they can't sort it out, what hope is there for me? And so I thought, ah, forget it. And, and then I just got thirstier and thirstier, really so, so thirsty. And for me, it was a crisis. I guess I'll never forget it. I'm walking along the seafront on, in Brighton, and uh, actually, 
I'd just taken a Bible study, so I'm pleased I'm making a bit of progress. And uh, I've opened the Bible and explained it to some people, a certain passage and stuff. And I had a little gap between the afternoon meeting and the evening church meeting, so I'm walking along the seafront just for a break before the evening meeting. I come into Brighton, and uh, there's crowds on a Sunday afternoon in Brighton. There's an upper promenade, lower promenade. And down in the lower promenade, there are some very elderly ladies uh, preaching the gospel, singing, holding up banners, repent and stuff, and things thrown at cigarette packets and apple cores, and you know they're just, you know, and, it's, and they've got frail little voices, and I'm hiding behind my sunglasses and thinking, God, that's terrible. This voice is awful. What on earth's going on, Lord? And I felt God said to me, Well, they're frail, elderly ladies. I called young men. What about you? No, I'll never do that. And uh, so I'm scared out of my life and wish I'd not seen it. And then two people in front of me, and I clearly hear it. They're just right there, right? Because we're looking down on these people, and they're standing crowd upstairs, crowd down below. And they look at those old fools. Why don't they keep their religion to themselves? Keep it in their church. And I feel in my heart like God says, well, at least say to them. You know, you may not be a preacher in the open air, but say, I believe as well. I couldn't. Again. Again. And so for me, I, I remember I went up to uh, my workplace the next day, and I knew a guy who was a Pentecostal. I used to meet him for lunch occasionally, and I worked in London. Uh, I commuted every day. And uh, I phoned him. I said, I want to see you. So I saw him at lunchtime, and I said, because he was so different to me. If we shared a table in a restaurant at lunchtime, he'd always witness to the people sitting next to him. And he'd give them a tract, you know, about Jesus. And I think, oh, how does he do that? You know, and I, I loved his liberty, but hated it as well. And, and I, I, so I called him. I said, I must see you. And we had lunch. I said, come on. What, why, how come you're so free? He said, oh, I've been baptized with the Spirit. I said, I've got to be baptized. Tell me, tell me. So I went uh, to his church the following Sunday. And uh, I thought, I must, must have this experience well, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach? Well, it tells us that these guys who'd been with Jesus for some three years needed to be empowered. It's quite hard to build a doctrine from their experience because they followed Jesus before the cross, before the resurrection, before the outpouring of the Spirit. So they lived through the great acts of redemption. So it's quite hard to kind of build from them. But there are many opportunities to find after them in the book of Acts, what happened to people after the cross, after the resurrection, after Pentecost? How did what happen to people? And some have said, no, no, you don't get doctrine from narrative. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine. That's what it says. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, looking back to Old Testament stories, Paul refers to, he says, all these things happened to them for our instruction and are written down for us. The things that happened. Not just the, the teaching sections, but the things that happened are for our instruction. And so for us, the Gospels are looking forward. Every Gospel makes reference to John the Baptist saying, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. The Gospels look forward. The epistles kind of look back and take for granted that people have been filled with the Spirit. Just like they take for granted that they have been baptized in water. 
None of the epistles say you must get baptized. And they take that for granted. That's already happened. And so without the book of Acts, we don't know. We need the book of Acts to tell us how it happened. So the Gospels point forward, the epistles look back, the Acts tell us what happened. So we'll just quickly look. I'm going to take you on a bit of a whistle-stop tour. We'll look just quickly on the day of Pentecost. Yeah, the Spirit fell. And not only did the Spirit fall, they went out and preached. And actually, we'll come back to that later to see what they made uh, they promised the people who were listening. If you go on from there, you'll find another example of the Spirit being poured out on people, which you'll find in Acts chapter 8, where Philip, the evangelist, went to Samaria. And uh, it says, when they believed, uh, verse 12 of Acts 8, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And so these people are clearly converted. They're converted. They're being baptized. They've, they've received the word, the kingdom of God. They've understood it. When, uh, verse 14, the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For, and let's listen, he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And you'll find Simon, the sorcerer, wants to offer money for this deal. But notice, the Spirit had not yet fallen. So their testimony would be, I was saved when Philip preached. That's their testimony. Some days later, we're not told how long, the apostles came, laid hands on us, and then the Spirit fell upon us. That's their testimony. Then, if you turn to Acts chapter 9, you'll find that Paul is converted on the Damascus Road, probably the most famous conversion story in the Bible, told several times. He's converted on the Damascus Road, but then Ananias, verse 17, is told to go to him. He comes into the house, lays hands on Paul. He says, brother Saul, all right, you're a Christian brother now, He's praying. God says to Ananias, because Ananias is scared to go. He said, no, no, he's praying. He's, he's, <laughs> he's mine now. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul converted one day. Three days later, Ananias, on this occasion not an apostle, as was the case at Samaria, Ananias, we don't know who he was. Never heard of him before or since. He lays hands on Paul. He gets filled with the Spirit. And so there, Paul's testimony would be saved three days later, filled with the Spirit. That's his testimony. Acts 10, you find Peter going to Cornelius' home where he's preaching. And he said enough for faith to arise. And it says in verse 44, jumping to the end of Peter's sermon, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter said, surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized, to have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. 
So here's a coming upon of the Spirit on people who are listening to the gospel. The Spirit fell upon them, and they were flooded with the Spirit. Just going through these quickly, I'll comment on them all after going through them. The last one, Acts 19, I made reference to in the earlier session, where Paul arrives at Ephesus, and uh, when he gets there, he meets 12 who are called disciples. The Bible doesn't explain. Uh, when you see the word disciple, you normally expect that to be a Christian. Uh, but when he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've never even heard there's a Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. In other words, they are disciples of John the Baptist. It's quite clear. And uh, when Paul, see, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe on him who was coming after him. In other words, Paul explains to them John's ministry was a preparatory ministry. It was get ready message. It was pull down the mountains, fill up the valleys, get ready. The Lord's coming, get ready. He will baptize you with the Spirit. But he's saying, get ready, get ready. These are disciples of John. Then he tells them about Jesus. When they heard this, verse 5, they are baptized. Now they've become Christian. Now they come to Christ. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, next verse, verse 5, and it's almost like you can imagine them kind of dripping with water from their baptism. Then Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So here we get, in quick succession, a prepared people through John the Baptist, a people who suddenly hear about Jesus, so come to Jesus. Obviously, this is just a very a succinct report. They come to Jesus, he baptizes them, and then lays hands upon them. And they receive the Holy Spirit, which is a second, though in the same day, a second step to receiving the Spirit. And the Spirit comes, and they speak in tongues, and uh, it says, and they prophesied. So, I said earlier, when I was searching and looking, I, it was like there were several schools of thought. So the first school of thought was, when you become a Christian, you've automatically received now, when I look at the scriptures and look at illustrations, the guys in Samaria couldn't say that. When they got converted through uh, Philip's wonderful gospel preaching, and he's doing signs and wonders himself, they get converted, but it was days later. That they, so these guys cannot say, actually, I received the Spirit when I was converted. They say they didn't. The Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. The plain, that's what the Bible says, hadn't yet fallen on them. And then when Peter and John laid hands on them, the Spirit fell upon them. Apostle Paul can't say, no, I was conversing on the Damascus Road. He had a vision, an incredible encounter, but he still needed to have hands laid on him to receive the Holy Spirit as a separate experience. You find in Acts 19, Peter's reluctance, which we referred to in the earlier session, to go to a Gentile home. I guess Peter is thinking, what am I doing going into this Roman centurion? You know, he's an unclean Gentile. All his background of Jewishness would have made it very, very strange to go. I think it would be very difficult for Peter to lay hands on him. Very difficult. It's interesting how important this experience is. It's given two chapters in Acts 
Luke tells the story in Acts 10, and then in Acts 11, he tells it all over again as Peter reports back to the apostles in Jerusalem who say, what are you doing baptizing Gentiles? And he says, well, actually, the Holy Spirit came on them. So who was I to withstand God? And they say, okay, God did it. So it's kind of different. The Spirit came sovereignly upon these people. I believe they'd heard enough to believe the gospel, then the Spirit fell. In Acts 19, as we said, the Spirit came after they're baptized, then the hands are laid on them. So this concept that it's automatic with conversion isn't so, because it isn't automatic for everybody in the book of Acts. It just isn't so. Also, with that teaching, it tends to come when you've received the Spirit. And So if you say to such a person, so, so are you full of the Spirit then? Most people would say, well, no, I'm full of the Spirit. But I guess as I go on, I will grow. I'll gradually grow into being filled with the Spirit. I shall, I shall grow in the Spirit. And so most people who would teach that once you're saved, you automatically have the Spirit, don't often claim to be full of the Spirit. They say, well, we'll grow into that. We'll gradually grow. But if, if you come to the Bible, what the Bible says, Paul says to these people at Ephesus, have you received the Spirit? They say, no. Then he lays hands on them. If he'd said to them, have you now received the Spirit? They wouldn't have said, well, we think we might grow into that. They'd have said, yeah, we're speaking in tongues and prophesying. It's not like, it's this concept that when you just gradually grow, that's not what the Bible says. It simply doesn't say that. It didn't in the Old Testament. It says the Spirit fell upon them. The Spirit came upon Jesus. The Spirit came upon the apostles. The Spirit came upon these people. It doesn't say once you're converted, you will gradually grow. It doesn't say that anywhere. And people don't tend to testify. Though they will argue that you've received the Spirit at conversion, they don't tend to personally say, yeah, I've received. I'm full of the Spirit. They don't say that. But after you, after you ask, or if you ask these Ephesians, they would say, yeah, I'm full. <laughs> and they wouldn't make any claim that that is the outworking of some holiness. They just got saved. They're not saying, I'm, I'm really better than you. I'm a new Christian. But I've received. It's come upon me. And so I've said that was one teaching. One teaching is it's automatic. If you're saved, you're full of the Spirit. That's, that's the teaching. I don't believe it's biblical. Secondly, and in the book you'll find reference to this and you'll see some of the things that Lloyd-Jones thundered out from Westminster Chapel when he said, if you've got it, my God, where is it? You know, <laughs> it was scary. But uh, he was saying it will be manifest. It will be manifest. And so that's the first teaching. The second teaching, namely that you have a second, like a second blessing, like uh, maybe years later, you have a time when you surrender to God and, and you give yourself over to God, and that, lead, that leads into a kind of, as you empty out, God fills up. Now, I would personally not want to withstand any experience that people have of God. And I, I think many people could say, I know, years after I was saved, I had another experience of God. I really felt I gave myself to him in a new way. That's beautiful. I don't want to trash that. But it's not what the Bible calls being filled with the Spirit. It's confusing things. It's not what it says. And so not to take away from the reality of people having all sorts of experiences of God. Why not? But to call that the baptism, to say, well, it happens later. You have to, to be filled with the Spirit. Well, that will come later when you've been walking with God for a while. 
I heard someone say once, it's like a, a general saying to his soldiers, go out and fight. And if you do really well, next time we'll give you a gun. It's crazy. Jesus, Jesus said, don't dare start until you've been empowered. It's a completely... So that concept of, call, of calling that the baptism of the Spirit, it doesn't stand up to Scripture. It's not what the Bible says. Now, as I say, I'm not trying to knock it. People can have experiences of God. But it isn't what the Bible says is being filled with the Spirit. Also, I would say that the Pentecostal concept, which... It's how I understood it. It may not be what every Pentecostal would say, but I certainly met some in those days who would have tarrying meetings. And there was a, what happened on the day of Pentecost? They went into a room and tarried and waited until they spoke with tongues. Then they knew it had happened to them. Now, sadly, that I mean, I've met people and prayed with people over the years now. And I've met people who said, well, I've been going to tarrying meetings for years. Literally, tarried for years until I speak with tongues. So it's like they got very passive. They're just waiting in meetings to speak with tongues. And I think that's wrong. I don't think that's what the Scripture says. I don't think the Scripture says. In fact, what it does show us is on the day of Pentecost they did that. They waited till the Spirit came. After Pentecost, no one was ever told to do that. It's not that in, in, in uh, Samaria they have saved, and then Philip and uh, then, then uh, Peter and John turn up and say, oh, you're saved, great. Now just find an upper room somewhere and uh, just wait. It doesn't say that. They laid hands on them and they received. When, when Ananias goes to Paul, he doesn't say, now, Paul, you're going to be an apostle. You better find a room somewhere. You better wait for power. He just lays hands on him and he receives. Cornelius, he can't even finish preaching. The Spirit falls. Acts 19, the water's still dripping off. These new converts, they lay hands on, they receive. So the concept that the, how do you receive the Spirit? Well, you go and wait. You have a tarrying meeting. No, 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 no. That's only looking at the day of Pentecost. That's not looking at all the other occasions when the Spirit came upon people. And I feel that's an important thing. The other thing, which I think has become popular over the years, and which John Wimber, a great, great friend, a dear, dear man, tremendous man of God, but he taught the release of the Spirit. So he taught, you've received it at conversion, later it gets released in you. And that's become quite popular in certain circles, that's the release of the Spirit. It's not talked about in the Bible. They didn't come, Philip led these guys to Christ, Peter and John came down. They didn't say, now listen, you've obviously got everything, now wait, and then you'll later get the release. It doesn't say it anywhere. It says the, the Spirit, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say this, look at the prepositions. It says the, the Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. It's not released from in, the Spirit had not yet fallen upon. And so it's the same word that's used with the prodigal son, incidentally, uh, that when the, the father ran to him and fell upon him, I always think of that Spirit falling upon the father, embracing the son, pouring out his love. Anyway, it's... it's that concept of it's a release from within. No, 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 no. It's a falling upon. Okay, so that's, that's how I would look at those things. So I would say those things, really, there's various different ways of looking at it, don't seem to stand up to the Scripture. So what, what is our stance? What is, what, is, what is I'm promoting? What am I teaching? I would say the key verse for me is in John 7 and verse 37, because it gives us the key about not having to tarry and telling us what our expectations should be. 
So in John 7, 37, you get this uh, statement that uh, Jesus, on the last day of the feast, cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture uh, said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy or the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because they were not yet holy enough. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. It says the Spirit was not given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, to me, that's huge. That is, the, that is such a central point. The Spirit was not yet given. Not because... So, so if you push through the crowd, you say, everyone is thirsty, come to me. Oh, Jesus, yes. He would have said, well, not yet, actually. Isn't that what it says? Not yet. Well, not yet. Well, am I good enough? No, nothing to do with you. The Spirit's not yet because I am not yet glorified. It's to do with my being glorified. Come to me and drink, but not yet. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached virtually on that scripture. Peter preached and said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, whereof we are witnesses. He now, being exalted at the right hand of the Father, glorified, has poured out this, which you can see and hear. It's come now. So this is a prelude to the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, it's like Jesus, the river has come. And so Peter says, the promise is to you, he says to the thousands who are there. The promise is to you. Be baptized, repent, be baptized. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And so from that day on, from Pentecost on, no one was ever told to wait for the Spirit. It's, the Spirit is freely given. We can receive the Spirit directly or converted. And as I said before, it's nothing to do with, oh, I don't think I'm worthy. You can pray for people. If you've been pastoring for a while, you've no doubt have prayed with people. And you'll find people sometimes say, oh, you're waiting for something to happen and feel something. And then they perhaps cry and say, oh, I don't think I'm worthy. I mean, I've said to people lately, no, you're not. I don't think you'll ever be. <laughs> and it kind of shocks them, deliberate, you know. <laughs> what do you mean? When I ever, no, you will never, ever be. You? Huh, worthy? Ha. You, know, you really drive the point home. Because it's a gift. It's a gift. And, and, and I've seen people, oh, wow. It's just, it's, 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 it doesn't say because you're not ready. It says because I'm not glorified. He's glorified now. So just come and receive. Come and receive. We see the laying on of hands is biblical. It's not in every case. No one lays hands on the day of Pentecost. Noah lies hands in Cornelius' home. So it's not necessary. I had a, a, an email from a guy in the States I'd never, ever met. And he said he, he listened to a tape I'd given on receiving the Spirit. He's a pastor. And he, he said, uh, I, I, I listened to this and I thought, well, I don't know if I agree with this. And he said, I'm listening. I'm listening. He said, no, it's all Bible. He's arguing. It's Bible. And he said, at the end, I got this email. It was so funny reading it. He said, uh, I just want you to know about this. And uh, he said, so I, I, I said, God, I want this. He said, it's Saturday night. I'm preaching the next day. It's Saturday night. And he said, I said to God, Terry Virgo talks about laying of hands. There's no hands here. He says, Lord, will you lay hands on me digitally? <laughs> so so, so he, that's what he told me in his letter. So he said, I, then I went, to, I went to bed. He said, I'm laying in bed. He said, I feel this joy. 
He said, I feel this joy absolutely welling up in me. He said, I just feel, I'm just joy. It's just bubbling, bubbling up in me. He said, I'm thinking, I mustn't wake my wife. And he said, and she's you know, lying in bed. And he said, and he said, and then he put in this email to me. He says, and then he says, holy cow, I'm speaking in tongues. <laughs> See, the promise is to you. The promise is to you. And uh, I remember once when I was praying for a couple in the church at home, and uh, they said, would you come and tell us about receiving the Spirit? And I went around for the evening, and I'm in their home, and uh, uh, talking, and sort of halfway through the explanation, as far as I was concerned. And uh, the husband said to the wife, would you just get some coffee? Dish? She said, sure. She went out to the kitchen, and we just paused for a moment. She ran back in from the kitchen. She said, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. I thought, I haven't explained everything yet. <laughs> She suddenly saw, and she'd been filled with the Spirit. She suddenly saw, no, come and drink, come and receive. So, beloved, if we are preachers of the Word, we've got to announce the availability. We must teach people the Spirit will fall upon you. We must ex give them expectation. Paul says in Galatians 3, you receive the Spirit, not through works of law, but through hearing with faith. That's how you received the Spirit. You heard with faith. The promise of the Spirit, it says, is received by faith. Again, Galatians 3. And so the, the proclamation is there for you. It's key. It's fundamental. It's very important. And so to come back to this verse, if anybody is thirsty, that's the first thing, just thirst. That's all. It doesn't say anyone's holy. It doesn't say if anyone's emptied the glass. It says if anybody's thirsty. It seems to me it's the only prerequisite. If anyone's thirsty. For me, I mentioned earlier that I was so thirsty that afternoon in Brighton when I thought, God, I have failed you yet again. You see, it's possible to get complacent about it. I'd got complacent. I thought, John Stott, Lloyd-Jones, oh, I can't work it out. And I've done a Bible study. You know, I'm, I'm making some progress. And God used an occasion to just break my heart and make me think, God, I cannot bear this anymore. And so I got thirsty. If anyone's thirsty. So I think it's important to be thirsty. I was speaking at a conference in the USA, and uh, a guy came up to me and said, uh, I've just looked at your book, No Well-Worn Paths, which is a testimony book. He said, you seem to say you were saved, and then you were filled with the Spirit later. And I said, yeah. And this is in a gap in a pastor's gay conference or two-day conference. So he said, can we talk about it? So we got like three quarters on our break. And so I, I opened up the scriptures, and he, he said, hey, yeah. He said, can I have that now? I said, of course. So I laid hands on him. He received the Spirit. He's speaking in tongues, praising God in the interval. You know, hallelujah. And uh, it's great. He's thrilled. And then and a lady came up to me. She said, you said something this morning that implied that I thought you were implying that you received the Spirit different. And I said, yeah, I probably did. I wasn't preaching on it as such, but I've said, and she said, I don't believe in that. So I said, well, God bless you, you know. She said, no, she said, I don't believe it's biblical. So I said, okay, fine. And uh, then she said, will you pray for me? <laughs> so I said, no. So she said, why not? I said, you don't believe it. See, what, what, she didn't believe it. She told me she didn't believe it. But there was, in the, there was this other side of her that's thinking, I don't know, maybe. Would you pray for me? No, I won't. Because I'm not going to pray for somebody who doesn't believe it, who doesn't know 
Why? I went with this other guy. I'd spent time. I'd open what I'm doing here. Open the verses, showed in the scriptures. He was, as a pastor and a lover of the word of God, he was moving as we're talking. He's changing, he's changing. And so he's thinking, hey, it is for me. Yes, please. This lady's saying, if, I, if it's there, wave a wand over me. Do it to me. I think, no, I'm not going to. See, you don't have to get corners. I just said, no. Because I thought, you don't believe it. And, and the promise, come to me. She wasn't thirsty. She was curious. It doesn't say anyone's curious. So, and this guy was thirsty. And I got thirsty. It's important. So I think that's I don't need it. It's not like that's some merit that you've built up. It's just desperation. If you're thirsty, then come to me, Jesus said. Now, if I can just give again personal testimony, I only do it hopefully to help. I personally went to this church to be prayed for the following Sunday. And the pastor came in. You know, here's the man. Here he comes. And he's laying hands on people. And he comes around. And he's coming to me. I think, wow, here it comes. I fasted the day before. I'm in serious. And, and I'm saying, wow, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. He lays hands on my head. Guess what I feel? Hands on my head. <laughs> he goes on to the next guy. I think, uh, so... Because I would say that what happened was this. Jesus had come to me and drink. Now, the laying on of hands is plainly biblical. But I would say in that moment, I wasn't looking at Jesus. I'm thinking, here's the guy that does it. Here he comes. He's going to do it over me. It's a bit like Naaman, you know, with Elijah. I thought you'd do it over me. And I thought, he'll just give me. And I, I didn't come and drink. And so he goes on to pray for the next guy and on, and he goes out the room. And I thought, huh? And then my friend said to me, well, praise the Lord. I said, why? <laughs> and, and they said, come on, just receive. And so we had to go back to the Bible together again. And he's long gone. The, the professional man's gone. And, and, and they're saying, look, look, it says this, says this, says this. And I said, this is, you've come. We prayed yesterday. You're in faith. And, and we just came again. I said, Lord, I just come to receive. If anyone's thirsty, come to me. And my friend's just praying over me. Come to me and drink. And they teach me, come on, come on, just come and drink. Then it says, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. I prayed for a lady, she's speaking in tongues like mad, and she says, now I know what that verse means, rivers of living water. And I'm not sure that's what that verse means. But the speaking in tongues is often associated with receiving the Spirit. I wouldn't go further than that. I wouldn't own the Pentecostal phrase, some Pentecostal people would use, the initial evidence you have to get the initial evidence. I think it's putting the cart before the horse. But speaking in tongues is frequently referred to. Frequently referred to. So when I lay hands on people, I expect them probably to speak in tongues because it's frequently there. It's there more often than it isn't. And so she says, oh, I spoke in tongues. I, I know for myself, when I was prayed for, they said, well, just praise God in tongues. I thought, well, how do you do that? They said, well, just begin. And that's when I went into a battle. And I, when I sit with individuals, I, I try to serve them because I was a terrible candidate. And so I can help people who are terrible candidates. And Because I, I was the world's worst. I argued. I said, no, I don't want that stuff. I want, I want the real thing. I was, I, was a, I was a jazz fan. So I love scat singing like Ella Fitzgerald and Mel Torme. And they go, blah, 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 blah. And I think, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> See, I, I, so I'm, I'm having a mental torment. And they say, no, just do it. So I just begin to do it. I just begin to speak. 
And as I do it, it's like a million voices are saying to me, you're just making that up. You're just making it up. And so, listen, so many people go through that. So we serve them if we can talk about it to them. We help them through. And then I, they just, I mean, they just laughed. They said, well, if you're making it up, you're doing well. You've done it for ages now. <laughs> and, and then I just kind of relaxed. And I can only say this. It's like the spirit went through me. I just felt, whoa. I felt, God, you're here. You're in my mouth. You're in my body. You're here. You're here. You're here. And, and, and it, you know, it talks about the spirit cries out, Abba, Father. I've been a Christian for six years. I'd never known anything like it. I knew I was a believer. I really did. But I'd never known anything like this. And actually, I went back to my Baptist church. It's quite funny, really. And I prayed I might be able to share it. I knew it was slightly controversial. And this is back in the early 60s. And uh, uh, we, we had a youth weekend away. And we went to a camp, and, uh, or a big hotel. And, uh, and the program says, Saturday afternoon, we go for a walk. And it poured with rain. And uh, the pastor said, let's just talk together. Let's just fellowship around. Um, come on, we'll have a talk. We'll come in, sit down. We'll all share together. Then he turned to me. He said, Terry, something's happened to you lately. Tell us about it. Oh, help. And uh, I thought, oh, gosh, what do I say? Because I've been praying for a chance to witness. But I think, how do I do that? And so I tell him. I thought, um, I have been to the Pentecostal church, and they laid hands on me, and I speak in tongues. <laughs> and it's like you could hear a pin drop. There's about 70 people there, uh, young people. And I think, so I finished, and the pastor said, Terry, you must lay hands on all these young people, and I will come at the end of the queue. I mean, he was a man of 60, wonderful, wonderful preacher, 600-member church uh, on the south coast there. Wonderful man. And I had the joy of laying hands on a lot of those young people. They got filled with the Spirit. And what the exciting thing was, that summer, we got and the whole load of us got filled with the Spirit, played hands on them, and we went down to that same fish market where those old ladies were preaching. And we went, and we got guitars, and we sang, and I stood on a box, and I preached the gospel. I mean, I think, oh, Lord, Lord. I never could have thought it possible because I was so ashamed and many times I'd failed him. And so for me, yeah, thirsty, come, drink, receive. And so that's what we do. We just encourage people, tell them the promise is there. Tell them it's there. Explain it to people. Don't, don't be vague. Don't be careful. So oh, if you want to receive the Spirit, come out here and get, oh, you pray for them and people don't know what they're doing. Lay hands on the people, speaking tongues over them, this, that, and they're thinking, Mm, nothing to, we need to teach. We need to um, give them understanding, uh, inspire their faith. Oh, I see, I come to drink now. Yes, come and drink now, because we've set out. And, and speaking with tongues is something you do. What do you mean it's something you do? Well, God doesn't speak in tongues. Huh? No, God doesn't speak in tongues. And I say this to people. If you don't speak in tongues, you won't speak in tongues. Because they're thinking, well, it will happen to me. Now, what happens sometimes is that it's like that. And they're the ones that get written up in books. They're so exciting. Oh, I was doing this, and suddenly I found myself. But the Bible says they spoke in tongues. And so for most people, it's like a, a step of faith. And so you take the initiative in faith. 
You begin to speak. The miracle to me is, not that it starts, but that it can carry on. It's a bit like Elisha saying to the woman who's run out of oil, get as many vessels as you can. Now take the little bit of oil you've got and pour it into all those empty vessels. Now she could have said, well, what's the point? I just empty this vessel and it goes into that one. Or she could put it down and say, come on, vessel. Whoa, vessel, go, go, oil. Go, 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 oil, go. But it's, what happens is when, when she starts pouring and when the oil goes over the lip of the vessel... It keeps coming. It keeps coming. It keeps, that's the miracle, that it keeps coming. It keeps coming. So there's, a, there's an initiative. There's a going out. To, I think about Peter on the boat. And Jesus, he's, Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter sits on the boat and says, oh, oh was that it? No, no, that wasn't it. Uh, oh, they, oh, no, that wasn't it. I think any minute I'm going to, oh, no, no, that's not it. No, no, Peter, walk. Get off the boat. What you mean, use my normal way of walking? Yeah. Walk off the boat into another dimension. That's what speaking in time. You use your same lungs. You use your same vocal cords, your same tongue, teeth, and lips. You do it. If you don't do it, you won't do it. But what you will bring out is a language that your mind... And we need to explain this to people. It says, you speak in tongues, your mind is unfruitful. It says in Corinthians. In other words, don't try and analyze it. You're saying, oh, I don't know what that means. What am I saying? No, no, it's, your mind is unfruitful. It's like Wesley said, oh, for a thousand tongues. Or sometimes people say in prayer, Lord, you know what I mean. I don't know how to say it. It's finding a way that releases your spirit. Your spirit prays. Your spirit prays. Wow, my spirit is praying inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. We mustn't play it down. Oh, it's the least of the gifts. No, 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 I thank God. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than any of you Corinthians. So encourage people. Encourage people to take steps. I've prayed with people over the years now. I mean, there must be thousands. I think 662. Thousands. I prayed with people who said, I've tarried. I, a lady came forward to me at the end of a meeting and said, I'm Pentecostal and I have tarried for 30 years. I said, would you like to receive? She said, I'd love to receive. And I just spent time explaining. Then I laid hands on her. She received. Because she'd never understood before. She said, I've been waiting all these years. I remember a girl got saved in our meeting and uh, she came up at the end. She said, I'm a Christian. She, she cried a bit, came to Christ. They said, is there more? And she, she picked up the kind of dynamic in the meeting. There was something supernatural. She said, is there more? And I said, yes, there is more. She said, well, well, well. I said, well, come to my home next Saturday. So she came to my home next Saturday, and she was a student and had a roommate. And her roommate was so impressed with how changed she was, she said, can I come with you? And she came, and she said, I want to receive Christ like Celia has. And I said, yeah. So I went through, showed how to receive Christ. She became a Christian there and then, that Saturday morning. Then Celia says, hey, don't forget what I've come here for. <laughs> so I then set out receiving the Spirit. She's been saved six days. I set out the Scripture. She said, wow, I'm ready. Then this girl's, it's like, hey, hey, I've just been saved. It's 20 minutes. Can I have that? I said, yeah, of course. 
laid hands on both of them. They both got filled with the Spirit. They both started singing in tongues, actually. I mean, they went on their way very happy. Saved six days, saved 20 minutes. The promise is to you. It's free. It's free. It's free. And so we just need to take away the mystery, uh, the kind of, well, we'll just see what happens. No, help people. Come and drink. Help them. You've got to, it's almost like you've got to preach the gospel to them. Preach to them. Preach. Don't just explain it. Preach to them. So their faith is rising. And I think, oh, boy, that is for me, isn't it? Yes, it is. Come on, let's receive. So that their expectation is biblically founded. Jesus said that you should receive power. We can continue to see churches spirit-filled, not because we've become contemporary. See, a lot of people say, oh, that's, that's a charismatic church. What they really mean, it's a contemporary church. It's got overheads, got guitars, use drums, don't use old hymns and organs, so it's charismatic. No, it's not, it's contemporary. Charismatic means the Holy Spirit's there in power. It's spirit-filled. And so praise God for contemporary. I'm not against it. What I'm saying is let's not kid ourselves. Let's be full of the Spirit. And let's make sure our people are being taught how to receive and coming in, receiving, and the joy of, and, 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 and the filling of the Spirit is opening the door to a world in the Spirit. We know that Peter and the others in Acts 4, they're filled again. And we know also, it says in Ephesians 6, be being filled with Ephesians 5, be being filled with the Spirit, present, continuous, carry on being filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, make melody with all your heart to God. Be, carry on being filled. It's an ongoing, wonderful experience of the Spirit. Jackie Pullinger says, I pray in tongues half an hour every morning. I pray in tongues probably similar. I love singing in tongues, praying in tongues, being in the presence of the Lord. Let's not play, oh yeah, I received that, and I think it was about 96 I had that experience. No, 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 carry on being filled. Enjoy the presence of the Spirit. And as Gordon Fee argues so brilliantly, that's probably written to the community, not to an individual. If you like, Ephesians 5 is saying, be a Spirit-filled community. Not just one person, although it means all the people being filled, but be a Spirit, singing to one another in psalms and hymns, so we come together to be filled again and again, in the presence of the Lord. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. We're not talking about when it used to be wonderful when Jesus was with us. We're saying, no, no, he's with us. On the day of Pentecost, I feel Peter probably shouted out, he's back, he's back. He's here again. Jesus is among us in power. All sorts of things become possible. Let's pray.